Well, does anybody want a big word today? Does anybody want a little three-point sermonette? Nobody. Well, good. Because I want to say that what I'm getting ready to preach, um, that I just want to warn you that, uh, make you aware that I'm going to do a terrible job today of preaching this message. And I mean, I really mean it. I'm going to do a pitiful job. I'm very serious. I'm, I mean, I'm just going to do an awful job uh, of preaching this message today. And it's true because of my subject matter. I'm talking about who is God and a lot of the points in this message, you know, what is God? Who is God? What is he like? What's his nature? What's his character? And when you start dabbling into the things of God like that, then everybody does a pitiful job. It's that your language fails you to try to communicate. I'm going to be saying some things today that I just think, you know, that's stupid. You know, as far in the sense of trying to say that's God. Uh, but yet, still, clearly, we have to do the best job we can. And really, that's, I really said, started this the way I just did because I want you to understand how big this God is. And, um, you know, I just, before we read our scripture, I'll just say this, that make it very clear that, look, I've always felt this way, I feel this way today, and I wish a lot of more, I wish more preachers did than what do feel this way. I feel this way, that my job as I stand before you is never just to make you feel a little better than you did when you came in, or it's never to tell you how to, just how to have, deal right with your finances and have a little bit of better marriage and, you know, a little peace in your mind. Really, frankly, I am given the task of opening this word to you to help you to know God. Thank you for those two or three amens. I can see we're going to have a rough road to hoe here this morning. Uh, that's all I do. All I do is help, to help you to know God. And out of that, all those things should begin to come in line in your life as you know God, because he's the answer to everything. Amen? All right, so, so let's get into it. Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters and stories in the Bible for years, I've loved this. Let's read this. Follow closely with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Hallelujah. I can feel it already. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Let's pray. Can you all stand with me just a moment to pray? Father God, we thank you 
for this story here in, your, in Scripture about Isaiah. Father God, we know that you've given us this story because you want us to see something of you. You want us to encounter you, so I ask you, God, as I speak today, God, Father, just use me as a vessel and so flow into this house today, God. And open the eyes of the people that, God, that this people, we may encounter you as Isaiah encountered you. We don't want to just know more things about you. We want to know you. God, may we encounter you today. God, let your glory sit upon this place. Open our eyes that we can see. Open our hearts that we can understand. And, Father, all the glory goes to you, Lord. We honor you and we praise you, God. It goes to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. All right, you can be seated. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah says. Uzziah was a king, the king of Judah. And he was a great king. For most of his reign. Uh, in fact, well, first of all, I, I, Uzziah actually became king when he was 16 years old. Think of that. And he reigned for 52 years. 52 years. And majority of that reign it was great. The people prospered. If you look at all the kings, Actually, David would actually have to be the number one as far as highest and rank the best. But in the top five, you would have to include Uzziah. This was a great leader. He was great in agriculture. He developed all kinds of ingenious inventions you know, concerning irrigation and agriculture that caused the land to prosper. He was also, also had a brilliant military strategic mind. And he built up the army almost to the strength that it was at its peak in David's day. And so they conquered many other lands, and he expanded the kingdom during his reign. And so the people prospered on every side. The Bible says, as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God caused him to prosper. But after 40 years, four decades of that, the Bible says that Uzziah's heart was lifted up in pride. Listen to this. And when his heart was lifted up in pride, he began to develop the mindset that most people do when their heart gets lifted up in pride. And that is, now I can do whatever I want. Take the limits off, man. I'm, I'm in charge. You know, it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. You know what he did? He took and he went into the temple and decided that he was going to do the job of a priest and burn incense on the altar in the temple. But you've got to understand that there were strict laws God gave concerning kings and concerning priests, and they were totally different, and the king couldn't do the priest's work, and the priest couldn't do the king's work. God was very clear. And so being lifted up in pride, Uzziah goes into the temple, takes hold of the censer. He's going to go burn incense on the altar in offense to the holy God. And Azariah, one of the priests, heard about it and quickly, before he did it, brings 80 priests with him. Think of this, this whole conversation. Now, here comes 80 priests rushing into the, uh, into the temple. And Uzziah is on his way to the altar. And Azariah cries out to Uzziah and says, Uzziah, no, stop. You're going to offend the holy God. God will not bless you. He'll curse you. And when Azariah said that, Uzziah, instead of relenting and repenting as he should, if he would have done that, even though he was so lifted up in pride that he decided he was going to do whatever he wanted, when he was confronted, if he would have repented, everything would have been fine. But once he was confronted with his sin, he didn't. The Bible says, 2 Chronicles 26, he became furious and he charged toward the altar. He was going to do it anyway. The moment he took the next step forward in his obstinate willfulness, in his sin, 
He took that next step forward, and the Bible says immediately his forehead broke out with leprosy. You don't mess with this God, I'm telling you. Leprosy. He's stunned. His forehead is full of leprosy. Azariah and the priests see this, and all of a sudden they think, oh, no, not only... It's not now just bad enough he's going to go and offend God by doing the priest's work. If he is a leper, touches that altar, it's going to bring a curse on this whole nation. And all 80 of those priests says, read the whole story in 2 Chronicles 26. All those 80 priests rush to, to Uzziah and they physically grab him. And the Bible says they threw him physically out of the temple. And they cast him, they banished him into isolation, and, and Uzziah spent the rest of his life, the last 12 years of his life, in solitary confinement, never again allowed to go into the temple, never allowed to socialize with anybody that he once reigned over. He now lives the rest of his life ashamed and disgraced. And now he dies. And here's Isaiah. At this moment, and I've tried to think, what must Isaiah have been thinking? What was going through his mind? Can you imagine? He must be thinking about this, you know, the, the great times in Isaiah's reign. And, he, and yeah, yeah, that's great. And that, those were the times he was seeking God. When, we, when, his, when our hearts were loyal to God and we were serving God with all of our hearts, Oh, we, you know, then God, we prospered, man. We were victorious. We, we were prosperous in every way. God blessed us. And I think his mind, he said, you know, just like your mind does whenever someone you love die or respect dies, it brings you to a place that you weren't at before where you, you're thinking through everything. And I, I'm sure Isaiah was thinking through, yeah, but you know what? Those last 12 years. And I think Isaiah must have felt tremendous remorse, regret for Uzziah. That he, lived, that he ended his life in disgrace. He's thinking, you know what? We left God. We left God. We left this holy God and ended up cursed. And in that whole scenario, Isaiah all of a sudden has this experience where he sees the Lord high and lifted up. What was it that he saw? I want us to look at it. Watch this. You all ready now, huh? That was all my little preface there. Now we're going to go for it. You ready? Uh-huh. First of all, I want you to see this. This is a technicality in some ways, but you've got to understand this about Bible interpretation or else you'll miss some of the most glorious things in Scripture, and that is there are some little technical things that are, that are so big that they'll revolutionize your life. And one is this. If you look, see in verse 1 here, in the year that King Uzziah died, can they put that up there? I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. See that? In the word, I saw the Lord. Where's it at? Lord. It's capital L, little o, little r, little d. You see that? Right? Capital L, little o, little r, little d. Go to verse 3. Look at verse 3. Can you put that on the screen? Look at verse 3. It says, and one cried to another, and it says, they'll seraphim, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the what? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Did you see that? Did you ever notice that before? Listen to this. Why is the first one capital L, little O, little R, little D? The second one is capital O, cap capital L, capital whatever it is. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The English translators are trying to give us a hint that if you look in the original Hebrew language here, that these two words are not the same. They're two completely different Hebrew words, but they're both speaking of the one holy God. This is what Isaiah saw. Are you ready? He saw first the Lord, capital L, little o, little r, little d, which is the word Adonai. And Adonai is not the name of God at all. It's a title of God. Adonai means sovereign one, Lord of all, God who rules over all. 
and then you come on down, and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Yahweh. That is the name of God. Now, if that doesn't mean anything to you, your wood's all wet. Let me tell you. Because when I look at these things, just even saying them and thinking about that is glorious to me. Isaiah is not just seeing a precious little lamb Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus, the comforter Jesus, the little Jesus who's with us as a friend when we're in trouble. He sees him as Yahweh Adonai. What does that mean? Are you ready for this? Listen to this. I'm going to tell, try to tell you what Yahweh means. Although it's somewhat futile, but let me say this. You remember in Exodus chapter 3, whenever Moses had this encounter with God in the burning bush, God calls him. He said, I'm going to have you lead this, many people of Israel. Moses says, who, me? I can't. You can't, God. What's going on? And all of a sudden, then he says to God, God continues to talk, and he says to God, he said, okay, God. He said, when I go, he said, who shall I tell them sent me? What is your name? And God says to them, I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. That word, I am, that I am, is the word Yahweh. I love it. Yahweh is not God saying, I am your deliverer. I am your savior. I am your blesser. I will do this for you, that for you. No, it's not I am this or that. I am. Period. 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 Well, what in the world does that mean? I am. That's all God said to him really was, Moses says, what's your name? He says, Yahweh. I am who I am. So, in my feeble way, doing a poor job of preaching this message right now, I'm going to try to use human language to attempt, to attempt to show you a little bit of what Yahweh really means. Here's what it is. Are you ready? Yahweh means God has no beginning, no end. The expression of Yahweh is he's the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is and was and is to come. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. No beginning. No ending. I don't depend on anything. Everything depends on me. Nothing defines me. I define everything. I'm not kept in being by anything. I keep all things in being. I simply absolutely am self-sustaining, self-existing. I am. Tell them that's who sent you. I love that. No wonder Moses changed his mind. So listen to this. Whenever, so Isaiah starts seeing this. Wait a minute. You're Yahweh. So it's kind of like this. I saw the Lord and the angels crying, holy is the Lord. I saw the Lord. Holy is the Lord. It's like Isaiah said, I saw this Yahweh. I, all of a sudden, I got a glimpse of how God is. He, he's eternal. He's self-existent. He's immutable. He's, he, he's infinite. He's omniscient. He, I start seeing these omnis of God that there's no limits to God. He said, and I saw that that God is sovereign over all. He rules over everything. It was a revelation that God had given to him. And when he did, he says, so he sees him on a throne. Look at this, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the status or grandeur of kings was and always, always has been and is communicated. The status and grandeur of kings is communicated through the length of their robe or the, the length and the grandeur of their train. You know, think of a train as like, you know, you, you know, a bride, you know, in the wedding, she got this thing out the back. That's her train, right? And so that, the reason a bride has that is to speak of her glory, her beauty, her splendor on her wedding day. 
And so a king, the more grander and status uh, that a king had, the bigger, larger, and more beautiful his train would be. It would go out the back, you know, for a long ways. But when Isaiah saw the Lord high, exalted, lifted up, his train didn't just go out the back, but it came out from his front. It flowed down from the sides. It flowed out from the back. And it flowed in every single part of the temple, filling up every little crevice of the temple. Speaking of his glory, it wasn't a physical train. He, Isaiah saw a, a picture that was showing God's glory, that his glory fills everything. And not only that, the angels go on to say his glory fills the whole earth. It says above it stood seraphim. I love this. Listen to this. So Isaiah is seeing all this. Think what, would ha what you would be like today, this morning when you woke up, if all of a sudden you had this vision. That would wreck you, wouldn't it, huh? He saw seraphim. Well, all seraphim means is burning ones. These are angels that are burning ones. That's what seraphim actually means. Why are they burning ones? Because they're in the immediate presence of the burning one. Do you remember of the holy God? Do you remember that when, I, when Ezekiel saw God? That Ezekiel said, oh, he said, I see him and from the waist up he's on fire. And oh, by the way, from the waist down he's on fire. He's on fire. John the Revelator saw him and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like they had been put in the furnace and burned with fire. Moses again saw him as the fire in the bush. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus preached the word to them, they said, our hearts burned. There's fire in God. And I'm telling you this, listen, there's, I, I bemoan the fact today, I'm groaning over the fact today that I see so much of the church in our nation that has a God who is not on fire. He's a passive, anemic little God who just comes to help us and bless us. That's not the God I serve. Thank you. These angels had, in fact, these angels had six wings, it says. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. Well, why do they have six wings? You ever ask yourself that? You need to ask yourself these questions. Because God is very efficient. God, when he makes creatures, he always makes them suitable for the environment that he wants to put them in. When he made fish, he gives them gills and fins, scales, so they can function the environment under the sea. Birds, light, extra light bone structure and wings so they can function the environment of the air. These angels had six wings because they needed six wings because they were living right in the immediate presence of this holy, infinite God who's on fire all the time. The Bible says in Psalm 19 that he's like the sun shining in his strength. You ever tried to look at the sun? Like, oh, you can't. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? You don't want to go blind, do you? That's exactly what it was like for these seraphim. And so they had to have, first of all, two wings to cover their face all the time. Folks, they've been doing this for billions of years. They're doing it right now while we sit here. They're there before the throne, and they got their hands in front of their face, and they're crying, holy, holy. It's like, oh, oh, did you see that? Oh, oh, oh. I've been doing this for a billion years, but oh, this morning I saw something I've never seen before. <laughs> and now two seconds later, oh, I saw something I'd never seen before. Five seconds later, oh, I saw something new. Because you never, ever see all of God's grandeur and beauty. They have two wings where they cover their feet. Why do they cover their feet? Feet are analogous or they represent our creatureliness. So you see, in one thing, you, angels are not like this, us, in the sense that they don't have sin. They don't function on this fallen nature like we do where there's sin in us. 
but they are still creatures. There's only one creator, and they have creatureliness. And there's something about this infinite holy creator. He's so holy that they have to cover their feet, their creature, symbol of their creatureliness, in order to stay there in the presence of God. You say, well, what does that matter? It matters a whole lot. The eyes, the feet, it matters a whole lot because it's showing you that this God that we serve, that we came here on Sunday morning to hear more about, is far more great and powerful and mighty and grandiose. He's far more beautiful and majestic than we ever realize most of the time. We'll sing songs about his, his greatness and whatever. And some, you know what? Especially, I mean, folks, I'll be honest with you. Last six months, I've been on a journey. It's like I haven't been on for a long time. And, and messages like this are just, I've got bunches of these now. <laughs> and they're just flowing out. I can't preach anything else. And I begin, the more I begin to really peer into God and his beauty, his divine essence, the more I realize, I think, the more I realize, you know what? We're not really seeing, doing this in the church. We're not, we sing songs. I, I look around and I'll see people singing songs about, you know, it's like last night in Jerseyville, we sang, we sang, uh, uh, oh, it was good. I don't know what it was, but it, <laughs> it was great. I'm captivated. I'm captivated by the splendor in your face. That's, that's a big deal, isn't it? And then another song that said, There's, you have no rival. You have no equal. Hey, those are big words for somebody standing there yawning. You have no rival. You have no equal. You listen to me now. Now, I know that's none of you. That's not you. That's Jerseyville, okay? And, of course, in Jerseyville, I'll say it's Waterloo. So, will y'all be a, you know what I'm talking about. And I think this, I think, God, please help the church to open her eyes and begin to think again. One of my great concerns about the church is we come and we say, oh, I'm saved, thank God, by the grace of God. And we stop thinking. We accept this God that he's our Savior. Okay, I'm forgiven. Hallelujah. I'm on my way to heaven. And we just become content with that's enough. Now I'm just going to go on, get a little encouragement every Sunday. And folks, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is the moment you come to Christ and he gloriously saves you out of the kingdom of darkness and transfers you into the kingdom of the son of his love. At that moment, you don't just end your search. You begin your search now into the divine majesty of God. The divine majesty of God. What makes life from this point on as a Christian, what makes it beautiful every day. You know, we know the Bible says, he says, his mercies are new every morning. But I am totally convinced that his mercies are new every morning, only consistent with a revelation of him that's new every morning. We have to see him today to enjoy him today. You can't enjoy him today on yesterday's seeing. That's why he says in Matthew 6, 34, listen to this. He says, therefore, sufficient unto day is the evil thereof. He said, tomorrow, he said, it's got, leave it, it's got trouble of its own. Just leave it alone. Deal with today's. What he's saying there is this. Every day's got its own trouble. Today is Sunday. There's Sunday trouble. And you know what? There's going to be Monday trouble tomorrow. And then there's going to be Tuesday trouble after that. But you cannot deal when you get to Tuesday. You can't deal with Tuesday's trouble on what you heard Rick say on Sunday today and think, oh, I got blessed with that, so now that'll help me then. Let me tell you, you've got to take what God gives you every day and build on it in coming to him, seeking his face, getting in his word, saying, God, open this book to me and reveal the glories and the wonders of your person to me. 
Amen. With two wings, he flew. He flew. And so anyway, I love it. By the way, I got to say this before going, you know, this, this kind of stuff just, it just undoes me. That's a word, undoes me. When I look, I look at the book of Revelation, and, you know, I think, think about these angels, six, the wings in front of the face. But you know, there's other creatures in heaven that are interesting. You know, when you have a vision of the throne in the book of Revelation, it shows us there what it calls four living creatures. And these four living creatures, what they do, they're living before the throne of God every day, all day long. And they do nothing but worship God. All day. And you know what the Bible says? This is how they're made? You know, you know what they look like? The Bible says that they have eyes all around, inside and out. In other words, if you look at them, they'd have eyes all the way from top to bottom, solid side, all up the back, and then inside of them, somehow they must be translucent. There's eyes on the inside of them looking out. Is that weird or what? Something out of men in black. But you know what? It's true. The Bible says it. And you know what? God created that creature. He made it on purpose, and he's efficient. He didn't do it just to be odd or weird. There must be a function to it. And I thought of this. This, this being, the four, four living creatures, they don't have wings to cover these eyes. I thought, why? Why don't they have wings to cover their eyes? And all of a sudden, I saw it. It's because they've got eyes everywhere, front, back, side, inside, and out. And so I just imagine them all the time going like this. Turning around, woo! It's like they're they're just catching glimpses. One eye, then the next eye, then the next eye, then the next eye, then the next eye. Yeah, I left you all behind on that, didn't I? I mean, it's gotta be. All they're there to do is there to worship God. And isn't it interesting when God calls, makes creatures that all their only job is to worship and honor Him, that the one thing He gives them is eyes. Because they've got to see the glory of who He is. In order to worship him. That's why I pray every time before I preach. I'll pray this for you last night. God, open their eyes. Give them eyes to see. I'm praying for God to give you eyes from top to bottom, inside and out. God, open their hearts that they can understand. Y'all get that, huh? So anyway, let's go on. So it says here, it says, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, folks, listen to this. Now we're getting to the real centerpiece of this thing. Isaiah sees this God, Yahweh, Adonai, all-sufficient, eternal God who is sovereign over all. These angels are crying out, Yahweh, you're holy, holy, holy. And just a side note that's very important, and that is, you know, we, in English, we have mechanisms that we use to, to exclamate a point, you know, to, uh, to what do I say, to emphasize a point. You know, it's like one is, the exclam one is the exclamation point. Another, we may use parentheses, right? Another, one may, we may use brackets or we may use bold print. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And what are we doing when we do that? We're saying, hey, you really need to stop and listen to this. This is huge. In the Hebrew language, they didn't do those things, but they had their own mechanism. You know what they did? When they wanted to give an exclamation point or put something in break, say, hey, stop and listen to this, they just repeated it. Do you remember Jesus several different times? He would say this before he would talk, before he would say something. He'd say, verily, verily. Isn't it interesting? Twice, which means truly, truly. And then he'd start talking. When he, Jesus does that, you better stop and perk up your ears because Jesus is saying, verily, verily. It means like, stop and listen. This is huge. 
It's the Hebrew's way of shouting through a megaphone saying, everybody stop. Don't miss this. But yet very seldom in Scripture do you see something repeated, not just once, but twice. Here they say, not just holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy. Emphasizing that this God, I could almost think, get this, like see these angels, these seraphim saying, oh, holy, you don't get it. He's so holy. He's so holy. He's so holy, holy. Oh, high and lifted up, holy. Now listen to this. What does the word holy mean? You ever thought of that? In other words, we use it a lot. It's in Scripture a lot. We use it a lot in songs, right? And so when we sing it, we ought to know what we're talking about, right? So listen to this. When you look at the word holy in Scripture, really the word holy has two common references. And there's the first and primary one. Then there's the secondary one. Not just second, but secondary and the secondary one is the one that we think about most of the time and talk about when we think of holy. But that's actually not the primary one, and I'm going to show you what I mean. You ready for this? The primary meaning of the term holy, the first and primary, refers, you ready for this, to God's otherness. Y'all didn't get that, did you? His otherness. His other thanness, which means when they cry holy, the first application of holy, when it is in terms speaking of the holy of holiness of God, is it's saying to God, God, you are other than us, separate from us. It's what makes God say things about himself in Scripture like, there is none like me. Not just I'm better than you, I'm higher than you, greater than you. No, 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 there's none like me. I like this when he says, there's none besides me. You get that. Hallelujah. He never stumbles. There's none. He says, there's none beside me. What in the world does that mean? There's none beside me? There's nobody else? And in one sense, no, there's not. God is this infinite, uncreated, eternal being that fills the whole universe. There, there's not like, you can't say like, all right, God is here, and then there's over there. See, see, God's here, but there's over there. So now he's going to go there because God is there. Not just that he's there geographically. I mean, in person, he's there. There, in other words, there is God. Do you get that? Because there is no, God doesn't exist in time and space. He created time and space. God himself is everything. There is no, you can run to the end of the universe and beyond throughout eternity past and you'll never come to a place where you say, oh, now I can see the end of God because God exists infinitely and eternally. Now, I know when I say those things, some of you may bother me and say, oh, man, that's freaky. That's out there. But you don't know something? I feel that it's very important you think thoughts like that. Not just on Sunday morning here, but when you go into prayer, you need to just stop just talking, oh, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, love you, help me through today. And you stop and spend some time going through Scripture and trying to say, God, show me who you are. You don't have to look far. Listen, you ever wondered why in the book of Job, remember Job's story? And how Job, he went through all this trouble. His kids were killed and his house was destroyed. His livelihood was destroyed. And now all of a sudden he's sick. He's got terrible pain in his body. Boils all over him. And now he starts complaining. He starts accusing God, saying, look, I wish the day I was born had never come. The sun had never shown. I wish, he even says, I wish my knees had prevented me from coming out of my mother. You understand that's an accusation against God? God, you don't know what you're doing. And you know what's interesting? In the end of the book of Job, when God finally answers Job, are you ready for this? When God finally speaks, here's a man in pain, suffering terribly. 
He needs his britches pulled up a little bit. He's got his attitude in a kink. And God needs to slack the jerk the slack out of him. But you know what? When he does that, isn't it interesting? He never, ever answers one of Job's questions. Not one. Instead, you know what he did? He asked Job a hundred questions. One hundred after another. And I love it. It's like, uh, you're just thinking this. God, he's got an attitude, man. God says, it's like God says, all right, Job, listen. He says, who is he who has knowledge? Listen to me. And he starts rattling him off, Job, where were you when I caused the sun to shine? And every time he afterwards, he says, answer me if you can. Where were you when I hurled the stars in space? Answer me if you can. Where were you when I made Leviathan, this great sea creature? Answer me if you can. I love that. And it ends up after God finishes with his hundred questions, the Bible says, Job put his hand over his mouth. Good move, Bo. Bro, good move. Right move. Put your hand over your mouth. Can I say to you, when you're going through trouble, adversity, difficulty, and experiencing a lot of pain, it doesn't seem to make sense, and you don't know where God's at, the best thing in the world you can do sometimes is just put your blessed hand over your mouth. Just shut up. Let something come out of your mouth that's going to give God an attitude and come and ask you a hundred questions. Job put his hand over his mouth, and then he said this. He said, oh, God. He said, it's me. It's me. You want to know who's the one who spoke things that they didn't understand? It's me. He says, up in the now, he said, I've heard you by the hearing of the ear. In other words, I almost like I could say, I've heard messages on Sunday, God. I heard them. I heard about that. I, I heard Pastor Rick talk about this Isaiah thing of God. I, lived, I heard it. He said, but now my eye sees thee. Eyes again, right? I, my, I, I see him. There's a vast difference between knowing God through mental, mentally accumulated knowledge. I know him because I know this about him. Vast difference between that and to know in the Hebrew sense. To know when the Hebrew spoke of no. When, let me just tell you this. The Apostle Paul, when he said, I want to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. When he said that, that word there is not the word know that we use in school. I'm going to learn arithmetic. I'm going to learn history, geography, whatever, so I can pass the test. It's not that kind of no. The word no to the Hebrew meant to know through experience. In other words, you didn't know it until you tasted of it and experienced it in your life. That's why in the, in the book of Genesis, that the Bible says that Adam knew Eve. And she bore a child, had a son. Now, I don't know if you can figure out, but that knowing wasn't just Adam and Eve talking, say, telling each other a little information about each other. It means they had an experience of an intermingling their lives. They experienced each other in an intimate way. And that's exactly what is it to know God, to know him in a way that your head, and even some of the things I'm thinking about tonight, uh, this morning, Saying is like you may not get it all in your head. You think, oh, well, man, I don't know if I got all that. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you've got the Spirit of God in you. That in your heart, there God, there's got to be something registering in your spirit, saying, "This is the glorious God that I serve." Amen. So you see, this God is other than. That's what we mean. He's in a category by himself. Just listen to this. So, what we like to do as creatures, we always like to define things above us through our own lens or through our own knowledge. Are you with me now? And I'm even talking about earthly things. You know, it's, I've seen so many people, they, they think they're, they're more of an expert on a subject than they really are. Everybody seemed like today, ever since Facebook, it's like everybody's an expert on everything. Oh, I know about that. I mean, they think they know Trump and Biden 
as intimate buddies or enemies, depending on your outlook, whichever you. But listen to this. And you don't know them at all. And it's like we think we know so much. But folks, think of this. We as creatures with our creatureliness, we think that we know God to a degree that like we stop searching for him. I've learned enough of him now. Now I'm just going to come to church and worship him. I don't need to know any more else about him because we know him. Now, folks, think of what that means. Because on, on, on our level as creatures, it, what we tend to do is we think in terms of degrees. In other words, like in creation, you know, there's the lowest degree, like a box of rock, like rocks. I mean, you ever had, had anybody say, you know, you're dumb as a box of, box of rocks? That means you can't get any dumber. I mean, there's, there's dumb and dumber. And then this is dumbest. And the rocks and the dirt is the lowest. Watch this. And then we say, but if you come up higher, then you've got the plants, the trees, the flowers, the grass. That's higher. Come up a little higher. And then you've got the animals, the horses, the bears, the monkeys, the giraffes. Higher. Come up higher. You come up higher, and then there's man. Us. Go up higher, and then there's angels, the angelic creation. So then just go up higher, and there is the God that we serve. And that's not the way at all to look at God. When he says he's high and lifted up, it's not talking about in degrees. God is not higher than us in degrees. He's higher us in a completely different category. You all didn't get that at all, did you? He created us. How in the world can the uncreated creator be like the creator? Now, the, he made us in his image, so we bear his image, thank God. But still, we're not like him in the sense of essence. In other words, it says God is everything, everywhere. He's infinite. And what is that? Listen, what is, one thing that's interesting is when you try to describe God, it's interesting that one of the primary ways we do it is through negation, meaning that we do it by saying what God is not like. Now, that ought to tell you something. Should it? For example, we say God is infinite. He's infinite. Well, what does that mean? All it means is God is not finite. All we're saying is God is not that. Why in the world would you spend so much time saying what God is not? It's because your brain is such a small pea brain that you can never grasp who he really is. So you've got to describe his awesome majesty and greatness by what he's not. So when you say he's infinite, you say, well, he's not that. He's not finite. Finite literally means to be closed in with boundaries, to be closed in with limitations. That's who we are. We are finite creatures, right? We are closed in with lots of boundaries. For one, 24 hours a day, we got to go to sleep at night. And others, we can only be in one place at one time. How many times have you told your kids that? I can only be in one place at one time. We're bound, we're limited, closed in by boundaries, right? What does it mean that God is infinite? He's not like that. God has no boundaries. So that's why when the Bible says he's omniscient, that means all wisdom, all knowledge. That means there's no boundaries at all to what God knows. Don't ever doubt that when you're going through a tough time that God doesn't really know. God knew it before you ever entered into that state. Amen? What does it mean when God is omnipotent? It just means there's no limits or no boundaries to his power. Isaiah saw this kind of thing. And you know what? When he did, it's so interesting. I wish I had time to preach the rest of this, but I don't. Maybe you stay the second service and maybe I'll preach more of it. But maybe I won't. So anyway, I'm not promising. But making no promises. 
I have been known. Have you noticed? I have been known to not finish my message. Have you noticed that? You noticed that? You noticed that, huh? You've listened to many of them, haven't you, huh? Many, many times. That's why I used to always love to preach series. Series of messages for me were never a series of messages. They were one message that lasted 10 weeks. <laughs> they were what? He, he, said, he said, you never finished those either. Never finished the series, did I? I just stopped them and went on to another one. I love that. Well, you know, whenever Isaiah saw this, what was his response? His response was, woe is me. Woe. W-O-E. Woe. Woe. Not, wow. In church, a lot of people today, a lot of churches today, you know, everything is designed where, wow, we had church today. Wow, wasn't that fun? Wow, wasn't that great? Wow, did you see that? Let me tell you something. When you see God as he really is, you don't walk away saying, wow. You walk away saying, whoa. Whoa. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. What does that mean? He means, woe is me. I am coming apart at the seams. <laughs> I'm being unraveled in the presence of God. Which tells you one of the primary reasons why it's so important to spend good time regularly delving into Scripture. Get some books to help you. J.I. Packer, one of the greatest, he's dead now, but, man, that's one of the greatest books on um, the, I forget what it's called, The Attributes of God, maybe it's called, and uh, where he spends one chapter on many of the different attributes of God, and he's full of Scripture. And just take each chapter, and then you go through the Scriptures, read them, meditate on them. So, so that you can learn. I mean, it's don't, go, don't go through it fast. Spend one whole week in each chapter. Spend one whole week in the omniscience of God. And you'll be amazed. Something will begin to happen in your spirit. And you know one of the first things that will happen? All of a sudden, in the light of seeing him as he is, you say, whoa, I see myself as I really am for the first time. Isn't that interesting? You so, see, I think, and I'm not going to harp on this, but I think in the church in America today that we really have a problem in a lot of ways. And, and I, I'm not speaking here. I mean, thank God for Matt and Katie and the heart they've got. And, I mean, just, I mean, they're right in step with me on what I'm saying here. But in so many places, so many churches around America, it's like everything is designed to make God palatable to make God acceptable, to make God, we, we want you to like God. We want people, we want seekers, unbelievers to like God. But if you look in the Bible, when anybody ever saw God, they didn't like it at first. John fell as, a, he, he saw Jesus, he fell as a dead man. I mean, that would reduce your crowd on Sunday, wouldn't it, huh? <laughs> God shows up on Sunday, have people fall like dead people. You say, woo, I ain't coming back to that church. <laughs> or better yet, or better yet, you're taking the offering. The holy God is so evident, and his, his presence is palpable in the molecules of the air. And all of a sudden, in that presence, you take the offering, and then somebody comes, and they give an offering, but they lied about it. They said it was one, it's what, they sold a piece of property and this is the whole amount, but it wasn't. They took, kept back half and they, and, and they just gave half. And all of a sudden, as soon as they did, the, God says they lied to the Holy Ghost and they struck them dead right there. Now, that you don't put on your church growth strategy. But it happened. It happened. You know, when people see God in Scripture, you see them, they tremble sometimes. They cry out sometimes. They wail sometimes. They moan, groan sometimes. They fall on their face sometimes. But you never see, you never ever, for one thing, you, but you never ever see anybody say, oh, I saw the Lord and I was bored. I saw the Lord and oh boy, wow, let's go watch the Super Bowl. That was fun this morning, wasn't it? 
Now the Super Bowl's wrong. That's good. I'm going to watch it myself. But my point is, we have to understand. I think sometimes Christians in America, they get the, the salvation of Jesus, a little forgiveness of Jesus, like I said. And but then that's all they got. And they don't have a God that's big enough that they can trust when all hell's breaking loose and nothing makes sense. And they don't have a big enough view of God to keep them from complaining to God, God, where were you? Why did you do this? And claiming that God's unjust. You got to understand that God's big enough that he can do whatever he wants to do without asking your permission. With that, stand to your feet. Thank you. Did y'all get anything out of this today, huh? Woo, hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for your, just everybody, just listen. Thank you, Father, for your presence. All right, just wait a minute. I'm going to go ahead. All the worship team get in place. I'm going to wait till everybody comes still. They're doing what they're supposed to do, so that's good. We get there, and everybody be still. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, I know that how feeble I am when it comes to trying to preach something like this. God, it just I struggle with language and with the abilities of my reasoning. But, oh, God, I know you're so good. You're so loving and so kind. And, Father, that you can reveal yourself in a way that only you can. Father, I'm asking you today, Lord God, would you do something in the people here today that brings a shift in their hearts, God? Lord, the only thing that will make this this morning really worth my while and make me feel good about, Lord, is, is if something shifts in them, God, that sends them off into a new pursuit of you, God. So, God, would you please do that, God? Open our eyes. Open the people's eyes, God. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ they may know your son Jesus, they may know his calling, their inheritance, the exceeding greatness of your power. We love you and we honor you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Every eye closed, every head bowed just a moment. I want to ask it over the place. You say, Pastor Rick, I need God. If you don't know Christ today, but your heart's been touched and pricked today, and you say, Pastor, I need God. I want to give my life to Christ. Or you say, Pastor, I've known God, but I've fallen away, and I'm not right with God today. I need to come back to God. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I want to come to Jesus, give my whole life to him. Lift your hand right now, all over the place. God bless you in the back. I see your hand. God bless you, sir, over here. I see your hand. You can put those hands down. God bless you in the back. I see your hand, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? You say, Pastor Rick, I need Christ. Pray with me. Anybody else? God bless you, ma'am, right there. I see your hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? I'm asking the last time. There's four. Let's raise your hand. Is there one more? God bless you, sir. I see your hand. That's it. Anybody else? Is God touching you? Don't walk out of this place without Jesus today. All right? Let's pray. All of you who raised your hand, this is a matter of life or death with you. Everybody else, I want you to join with them. We're going to pray. But those who raised your hand, I mean, you've got to be giving your whole life to Christ right now. So let's pray this. Say this. Dear Father God, I come to give my whole life to you. My heart's been touched today. I don't want to live one more day without you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be saved. I now give all that I am to you, Jesus. And all that I ever will be, my life is yours. Take me and make me what you want me to be forevermore. In Jesus' name. Now those who raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. Father, I just pray, bless them. God, let your light shine upon them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Father God, I pray you radically touch them, purge them of all sin. And Father, gloriously fill them. And use them to touch all their friends and neighbors. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Just sing worship. And I saw the Lord on his throne. Come on, worship him. 
catch a glimpse of him. glory,
Have a beautiful